Well, this morning marks our fifth of six sermons uh, in our series on family relationships. I'm doing a six-week series on that. Today's number five. And the sermon is on finances, money, things along those lines. And you may be wondering, saying, well, how in the world does that fit with family? I mean, that's not an issue or anything, is it? But we had these response boards out that you all filled some stuff in on. And our kids told us as parents that this seems to be an issue for them. The key to happiness in our family relationships may hinge on this money thing. We've got things up here so along the lines of, buy me an unlimited supply of tacos. <laughs> buy me a phone. Buy me horse stuff and more pony club packets and my horse something or other. Can't read that part there. Uh, Buy me more candy. Buy me silly bands. Silly bands. The key to happiness right there. Silly bands. So, I mean, our kids are telling us that, that all it takes to make them content and happy is for us to spend money. And we've got money as parents, right? So, you know, it's not an issue. So there, there's a uh, financial dynamic there. Now, husbands and wives on your boards, if I wish my wife would and I wish my husband would, you didn't write about financial stuff. But nonetheless, surveys tell us that one of the top five issues, and this is every survey I've ever read that ranks the top five issues that couples fight about, money is in that top five list. So just think about taking and applying the biblical principles that we're going to learn today to your marriage relationship and to your finances and not having that stress over money and finances, and you'll have a lot more time to fight about the other four top things, all right? Because the scripture can teach us some things and we can really learn a lot by looking at these. But, you know, I think the best place for us to look for wise money management principles comes from one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived, King Solomon. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, and keep your fingers limber today, because we're going to flip around quite a bit throughout this book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to look at some sound financial principles from the second wisest man to ever live with Jesus Christ obviously being the first wisest man to ever live. You see, Solomon had a whole lot to say about money and our finances and our material possessions and our attitude toward those material possessions. There are over 90 verses in the book of Proverbs that give some kind of teaching, some command, uh, or, or wisdom about financial issues. And I'm convinced that either Christians don't know what Solomon had to say in this area or they must not care because they're really not putting them into practice when you see and, and recognize how Christians are, are managing or not managing their money and their financial uh, possessions or their attitude about those things. And I'll tell you up front, this is one of my favorite topics to preach and teach about. Now, that's not because I've got a whole lot of money or because I manage what I have uh, particularly well. I mean, you can ask Shelly on both counts, and she'll confirm those statements are true. But I enjoy this area so much because I have seen, and Shelly and I have seen in our marriage, God's hand of faithfulness, his hand of provision in our lives over and over again as we simply sought to be obedient and faithful to what God teaches in his word. To say, Lord, well, we're struggling here. We don't have this all down pat, but we're going to trust you. We're going to step out in faith and do what you tell us to do. And we've seen God provide over and over and over again in our lives. And it's increased. It's strengthened our faith. And it's motivated us to trust God in other areas because we've seen his hand of faithfulness so clearly uh, and so tangibly in this capacity and in this area of our lives. Nothing can cause me to recant or deny God's faithfulness and God's provision in this area. It has been so real to us 
uh, as a couple in our marriage. Now, before some of you get all wrapped around the axle and start getting all puffed up about the church and money and preachers always talking about money and that kind of stuff, let me tell you first off, there's not going to be any high-pressure sales pitch, and I'm not going to try and guilt you into anything today, okay? Uh, I read about two guys who were standing on the front porch of their church after worship one morning and nothing but their boxer shorts and a t-shirt, and one guy looked at the other and said, man, I don't know about you, but that's the best give- sermon on giving I've ever heard in my life. You know, so I'm not going to pressure you into anything or lay the guilt on in that way today. Some of you are just catching up on that, and it'll, you'll, you'll laugh a little more about it later. But I do want to tell you that I think having such an adverse reaction and just that, you know, about hearing uh, this topic and this issue preached about needs to cause you to examine your own heart and your own spirit. How many of you have ever been to a doctor, and as part of the exam, that doctor prodded around on your neck, maybe pushed on your abdomen, you know, felt around, did some stuff, and... Uh, as you were doing that, if you ever winced in pain and went, ow, as he pushed in a certain place or she pushed in a certain place, maybe they went, hmm, and they pushed around a little more. Maybe they ordered some other, other tests and said, why don't you go get this scan or this test done, things like that. Why would that doctor do that? Because you winced in pain at a certain spot. Because it's not supposed to hurt there. And when they press and it causes you pain, they go, hmm, something's not right about that. So I'm going to tell you, Christian, that... When it comes to sermons on stewardship and on giving, which the Bible talks about extensively and in great detail, it's very clearly identified and discussed at length in the Bible. It's not supposed to hurt there. It shouldn't be a painful topic or painful issue for us. And if it does cause that reaction, maybe we need to stop and say, is there something going on within me in this area? Because I told you, I'm not going to guilt you and try to manipulate you at all today. But if there's a little uneasiness, a little tension in that area, that's what we call conviction. That may be the Holy Spirit working on you. And I'm not going to promise that the Holy Spirit isn't maybe going to speak to you and challenge you in some ways today. But that's not going to be my intent uh, in preaching this with you today. But our foundation, as we think about money and finances and material possessions and all those things, the foundation that we need to understand is this. Everything is the Lord's. Everything is is the Lord's. The psalmist says in chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Everything you have came from God. Everything you have came from God. And and if you doubt that, let me boil it down to the most basic level. You are alive because God is right now at this very second actively sustaining your life. If God ever daydreamed and his mind wandered from actively keeping your heart beating and your body functioning, you would be dead. So the life that you have is a gift from God. And every skill, every talent, every ability that you have to earn income and to to make wise choices and decisions and to work and to do anything to generate that is a gift from God. God has given you those things to be able to make the money and acquire the things that you have. So everything you have comes from God. That's why you hear pastors and the church uses a word that that a lot of the world doesn't uh, recognize and understand. It's the word stewardship. We talk about being stewards of what God has given us. Well, what in the world is a steward? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines a steward as a manager acting for the owner of a large estate. A manager acting for the owner of a large estate. So while you say, I may not own a lot, God owns everything, and he's blessed you and given you certain things that you are to manage 
on his behalf. You're not the owner. You're the manager of what God has given to you. So with that in mind, let's see what Solomon had to say about stewardship in financial areas. One of the first things he teaches us, and we're not going to be able to see all of it today, but a few things. One of the first things he tells us is that we honor God by giving. We honor God by giving. You're in Proverbs chapter 3. Look with me at verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And Proverbs 28 verse 22, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. It says, a, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know the poverty that will come upon him. So a stingy man seeks wealth but winds up with poverty is what Solomon says. Go ahead and flip ahead to Proverbs chapter 11. We'll get there in just a moment. But as as you're flipping, I want to ask about this issue of honoring God by your giving to say, is your attitude toward your money, your, your monetary, your financial possessions, your material possessions, is your attitude, is it healthy? And is it biblical? And people say, yeah, yeah, I got a right attitude and right spirit about those. I say, well, good, I'm glad about that. Then I want to ask you this, how do you give? How is your giving? Is your money where your mouth is, so to speak? Do you tithe? That is, do you regularly and consistently give with joy, give to God the the first fruits that were spoken of in Proverbs 3, 9? It says, give God the first fruits. That meant the first of the crop that came in was given back to God as a way of saying, God, we thank you for everything that we've received and what we're going to receive through this harvest, giving that first fruits back to God. And it was 10%. It was a tenth of all that they received. So they gave that back to God. So are you giving God that top 10%, those first fruits of your income? We can swallow hard here. Yeah. So let me ask again. Is your attitude toward your money and your material possessions uh, and the things that God has blessed you with, is it healthy and is it biblical? But not only are you giving, are you doing it with a right attitude, with that right attitude? Nothing betrays whether or not you're giving, whether or not you have a right attitude toward finances than to look at your giving habits and your attitude about giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes and tells us, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, one who gladly and freely returns back to God out of the abundance from which he or she has received. Proverbs 11, 24 in this area states it this way, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, the term for one who gives freely in those verses literally means a soul or a person, a blessing, a person who goes around blessing other people. And the promise that this person would prosper means that he or she is fat, literally fat. 
And that was a great compliment in that day and time because it meant that person had enough wealth and means about them to be able to buy food that they could eat, that they would eat so much in abundance that their body could actually store up fat. Now, we have a different concept of fat today. We're not going to talk about all that. But anyway, this was a compliment in that day and time, all right, because it meant a person had been abundantly blessed in in material and monetary possessions. So it says a person who gives to others and blesses others gets fat. They're blessed with abundance. You go, well, well, how does that work? That's a spiritual principle at work there. The picture that's given that that we can recognize is that of a well. And a a guy owns a well, and he freely and generously gives water so his neighbors can water their gardens to grow fruit and vegetables and and things along those lines. But from this well, he also has enough water to to water his own garden and, and to drink and provide for his family. But he blesses others. He's provided for. He blesses others. And then what happens at harvest time? Those neighbors, because of his kindness and his generosity, say, you know what? I'm going to take him some of my fruit, some of my vegetables, as a way of saying thank you for sharing your water with me. And they repay his kindness, and he is blessed in abundance because he was generous and he gave to help others. So don't give begrudgingly is what the Bible teaches. Don't don't give with a Grinch-like spirit, but with thankfulness. With joy, because you realize that you have been given so much from God himself that, that, that you freely want to return and, and give a portion of that back to God who gave it to you in the first place. But, you know, one, one side note, one area of giving that, that's emphasized in the book of Proverbs, not just to honor God and giving to God and his work, uh, which would be through a local church, but another area uh, that it speaks of is giving to those who are in need. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14 where it speaks of giving to those in need. We'll look at 14, verse 21. Proverbs 14, 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Look on down to verse 31 in that same chapter. It says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, both the maker of the man who's doing the oppressing, but also the maker of the poor man, because God made them both. So he, see, so he insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. This is honors the maker of the, the wealthy and the poor person as well. So failing to give to those in need insults God, and that's going to impact our relationship with God. I mean, we're talking about relationships. You insult your husband and your wife, uh, it's not going to be healthy for that relationship, or you're going to have to deal with that insult that took place. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. When we don't give, when we oppress the poor, uh, we, we adversely and negatively impact our relationship and our walk with Jesus Christ. Look over in Proverbs 21, verse 13, to see the principle uh, that tells us there's a good chance if we're greedy and if we're stingy and if we fail to give to those who are in need, that that we can reap that same uh, seed that we've sown in our own lives. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. It says, when justice is done, I'm sorry, I'm reading verse 15, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So Psalm says, we reap what we sow. If you, if you look and you see someone in need, uh, you can respond with a haughty spirit, and you can say, what's their fault? They've made bad choices. They've made bad decisions. They're there. It's their fault, and I'm not going to give to them. Or you can excuse yourself from giving and say, well, if I give them money, they're going to go blow it on this or that, or they're going to mismanage it like they've done everything else and, and wind up there. And you can excuse yourself from giving. 
But Solomon tells us that we can expect that if a time in our life comes and we've been greedy and we've been stingy, then that boomerang effect is going to occur and people aren't going to give to us in our time of need and when we need help from them. Now, that's all that I want to say about giving this morning. Uh, I've got no qualms about telling you that I believe that you can't fully be obedient to God without giving that 10% of your income and more if you are able and if God leads you to do that. But I'll tell you, my job ends there to say that we honor God by our giving. God expects and calls his children, his people, to give on a regular, uh, faithful basis. I just tell you that's what Scripture teaches, and I leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you, we try to make it as easy for people to do that uh, in your walk with Christ as we can. We mail envelopes for you to be able to give weekly. They're in the back of the pew for you. We have e-giving. You can sign up and have it where you don't even think about it anymore. All those things are available to you. But the key is... What are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ, in your walk, in your journey with him, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be obedient or disobedient? And I just pray that that you will step out and trust God uh, and follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and give as he leads you to, to give and understand that God will bless you as he sees fit. It is a promise from his word. And you can trust him in this promise. I tell you this from personal experience, and I challenge you to trust God in this area. But you see, a second important principle we see in Proverbs is that we need to spend and save with purpose. We need to spend and save with purpose. Proverbs chapter 21, you're there. Verse 5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And look in verse 20, the same chapter. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. This means the man has possessions. He has oil uh, to, to to eat with and to cook and to provide light. He's got everything that he needs in a wise man's dwelling. But a foolish man devours it. Meaning he eats up his treasure, he uses, he squanders those, he uses and burns his oil without thinking of his future. Dave Ramsey makes two wonderful statements on this, on this area of spending and saving with purpose and of managing money God's way. He says, money is a great servant, but a terrible boss. Great statement. Money is a great servant, but a terrible boss. He also adds, God doesn't care if his children have money, but he hates it when money has his children. And if we don't manage our money, then it can manage us. But you need to understand that money is amoral. Amoral. That means it has no moral value. Here's a $20 bill. Is this a good $20 bill or an evil, a bad $20 bill? Neither. This thing has no moral value. It's a piece of paper with ink on it. Now, some people say, well, the Bible says that money is, is uh, money's the beginning of all evil. No, it says money is the root of all kinds of evil. It, it's a root. It doesn't mean that money in and of itself is evil. It's a root that can grow into all kinds of evil. What I do with this money can, can be used for good, to give it to a homeless person, to buy a meal, to give to a charity, an organization, can be used for good, to go buy, you know, a, a drug or alcohol or something like that. I mean, I can use it for some negative uses as well, but this money has no moral value. It's what I do with it. 
And I can take and I can invest this money somewhere and it may draw some interest over time so that, you know, five and ten years from now it's worth a a buck or two more. But if I take this money and I, I, I stick it in a sock and put it in my drawer, just leave it there, and I wait ten years and I pull it back out, what happened to this money? It decreased in value, didn't it? Yeah, it went down. $20 today isn't what it was, you know, five years ago. It decreases in value. But I decide what to do with it. It it, it responds to the choices that we make with our monies. And it's going back in my pocket, so don't be coming up here snooping around when the service is over. Learn to control your money so that it doesn't control you. Learn to put your money to work for you instead of having it work against you in your marriage relationship, in your relationship with your children, and in your family. And I tell you, if you think Proverbs wasn't written by a guy who knows what life was like, look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. This guy knew where we live. He says in verse 4, chapter 23, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. He means be discerning enough to stop, to not, not just always be chasing after earning money. Well, why would he say stop working, don't be always chasing after making more money? He says in verse 5, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Can I get an amen? I mean, have you ever been there? I mean, you scrape, you claw, you save, you do everything you can to get a little bit of money saved up. And then wham, out of nowhere, the alternator goes out on your car. Your dryer stops working. The stove won't cook anything. And where does that money go? Bye-bye. Out the door. Do you live there? Have you had that experience? Did this guy know what life is like or what? He says, don't be worried about You're always after, after money. It's going to be gone. So if you're always working and you're not investing in the things that are most important and taking the time for those things, then there's going to come a point when you will have nothing. And if it's not in this life, then when this life is over, because you never see a hearse carrying a U-Haul behind it, you're not going to take it with you. And we're going to see that principle here again in just a moment. But as we think about managing our money, and and I want to walk with you some of the components, because Proverbs gives some really good uh, wisdom for us on, well, how do you manage your money? What does it look like uh, to spend and save with purpose? One of the first things Proverbs teaches us is to be honest in your work. You need to be honest in your work. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. I told you we were flipping a lot, so flip back to chapter 20, verse 17. It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Ooh, that sounds good. Anybody ready for lunch? You want a nice uh, gravel hoagie for lunch? That sound appealing? Well, what is this saying? I mean, underline that in your Bible if it's not. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. That means you may enjoy the benefits attained by fraud for a while, but in the end, it's going to be bitter and despised because of the guilt and the shame that takes place in your own heart 
and in your own spirit. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. It means it's better to have a good reputation than to have tons and tons of wealth and be known as a schemer, as a scoundrel, uh, as a thief. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So these verses remind us and tell us this very simply. Character and integrity matter more than profits and portfolios. Let me say that again and let that sink in. Character and integrity matter more than profits and portfolios. If you compromise your character your integrity, your witness for Christ to gain anything, then you have gained nothing. You gain nothing. It is not worth the sacrifice of your character, of your reputation, of your walk with Christ to earn any amount of money or financial possessions or material possessions. It's not worth what you lose in your own heart and in your own spirit and in your walk and your relationship with Christ. I learned this lesson the hard way. Shelly and I had been married just a couple of months, and we'd gone to a a grocery store doing some grocery shopping, and we were heading down the drink aisle, and they were having an incredible sale on Powerade that day. They had the big 32-ounce bottles, uh, $1.30, buy one, get one free. So it was 65 cents a piece for the big 32-ounce bottles. Now, I was working out pretty heavy in that day uh, in the gym, playing a lot of volleyball, and so, I mean, I, I drank this stuff like it was water. So I got two cases I mean, I loaded up on the Powerade, put them in my cart, and we got to the register, and I don't know what happened. If the girl was new, if she didn't understand buy one, get one free or what was going on, but for whatever reason, this young lady charged me 65 cents for one bottle and gave me the second one free. Now, we got through and didn't realize that till we're on the way to the, to the car, and Shelly was reviewing the receipt, which she always does. It's amazing to me. I mean, she wanted to go back in one day because they charged her 10 cents more for a can of corn. You know, I was like, honey, get in the car. You're not going back in over, you know, a 10-cent can of corn. But she's reviewing this receipt going, this isn't right. She was kind of figuring, and she said, they didn't, something's not right with this. And we looked at it, and we saw what had happened, that this young lady had charged us the wrong price. So you can guess what I did. I went back in the store... And I bought two more cases. Yes, I did. I loaded up that card and I got in this girl's line. There were other cashiers that were, they were open. and go, we're open air. I'm like, I got some time to kill. It's fine. You know, I'll just hang out right here, you know. So I went through this young lady's line. Shelly waited in the car. She was like, I am not going in with you. You know better. You better not even do it. So we come back out. She didn't say anything. She just gave me the look. Guys, you, you know what that look is like. So we went on, and we went to, uh, to the next store, and man, I'll tell you, as we got to that next store, and we're doing more of our grocery shopping, the conviction from the Holy Spirit hit me hard. I mean, I'm pushing this cart through the store, and two words kept repeating over, I mean, I couldn't get any thought, but these two words in my mind, the first word was thief, thief. And I would try to argue and go, but Lord, it wasn't my fault. She's the one that, you know, she, put the, she rang the wrong price. You know, I, I didn't do it, you know, it's, and, and it's a saving of this. And, the, and so I just tried. And when I would try to counter argument, I would hear the words stealing, stealing. 
So we finished our shopping, and I mean, it's just, I'm just defeated, beat down with conviction when this is over. So we get back in the car, and I drive back across town, grab the receipts, and I go in, go up to the customer service desk, and say, I think you guys charged me the wrong price for this Powerade, and I put it up there, got my checkbook to make it right. Oh, and I'll never forget, this manager's like, well, thank you so much. I mean, we're so appreciative that you would come back in and tell us of our mistake. I mean, most people wouldn't say anything at all about this. And I'm going, dude, do you not see two receipts 10 minutes apart? (laughs) I mean, he's just heaping it on about how honest I am and coming forth and confessing and stuff. And I'm going, you know, this whole way. It was miserable, absolutely miserable. That was not a fun lesson to learn, I tell you. But I saw that day that saving a few dollars was not worth the price of conviction. It's just not. So always operate with honesty and integrity because that mouth full of gravel and that heart full of guilt is no gain and it is no fun at all. You don't want to live life that way. But, you know, a second thing we see from this principle about work is that we should work. I mean, we need to be able to work. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that that part of God's design and creation is that we work and that we earn uh, from the work that we do. But another big principle that's found in Proverbs is that of saving, that of saving. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, we are introduced to a lovely character. If you ever get the time, look through Proverbs and get a concordance and look through every reference to this character through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Here he is. The sluggard is referenced quite often in the book of Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit and want like an armed man. The sluggard is a humanoid form of a slug. You've seen a slug, right? You flip over a board or rock and you got that little creature, slimy creature crawling along in the dark and, and the damp on the underside of those, stu- all those things. That's what he's calling this person here. He's calling him a slug. Why is he calling him a slug? Because he's lazy. Because he doesn't do anything. And he uses the ant as a positive example. He says, look at the ant. The ant prepares in the summer. He gathers and he stores stuff away uh, and does all this. But you lay around, you sleep, you fold your hands and say, oh, I'm too tired. I've got to rest. When I rest, then I'll be ready to go and work and do something. He says, and poverty is going to come on you like a bandit. It will, it will come on you so fast, it will make your head spin. Now, why do ants gather in the summer and at harvest time? So they have something to eat in the winter when things aren't growing and it's not there. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Don't worry about turning there. I'll read this one to you. It says, the sluggard, again, our sluggard here, does not plow in autumn, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So here's this guy who doesn't plow, he doesn't plant, he doesn't do anything. Then he walks out at harvest time, opens his barn doors and goes, where's all the food? I don't know why there's nothing here to eat. He didn't work for it. You know, he did nothing. He was lazy, and he has nothing in return uh, because he has no thought of his future or preparing for what lies ahead when times get difficult. So a rainy day account, an emergency fund, a nest egg is a wise money management principle. 
But remember that our trust is not in those accounts, but in the God who provides or gives us those accounts. The Bible denounces the, war, the hoarding of wealth out of pride or out of greed or of self-sufficiency. But it is wise to save and to plan and to be prepared for a time of drought in the future. Eight, ten years ago, people in America would say, we're fine, we're okay, we don't need to save up for the future. We're the most prosperous nation in the world. It's always going to be up and to the right here, right? Yeah. We saw how long that lasted for us. We're in the depths of of an economic depression unknown in our lifetime. Following this principle then, two decades ago, makes our situation today a lot different, doesn't it? Wow, there's wisdom in God's Word. Next, have a money management plan that includes dumping and avoiding debt. Dump and avoid debt. Debt. Proverbs 22 7 is probably one of the most familiar verses in all of Proverbs in this area. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I mean, debt's thought to be a natural, normal, expected part of the American dream now, is it not? I mean, we, we strap on debt without even giving it a second thought. But then we understand why it's called a MasterCard as Dave Ramsey says. And we don't have time today to cover all the how-tos in this area, but there are some great resources available to help you budget and to develop a a debt reduction plan uh, to get out and to do these things. And one of the ones that I recommend that we offered in the spring and we'll do again this fall is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's a 13-week money management course teaching how to plan a budget, uh, how to get out of debt, looking at saving and investing and all those sort of things. It's a great course, uh, and we'll be offering it again this fall. So when you see that, I encourage you to sign up and, and take and get the information that's there to help you do this. But let me simplify in case you're not able to take the course. Uh, Maybe you're visiting with us today. Here's how you get out and stay out of debt. Spend less than you make. Deep stuff. I know the Bible is really complicated in some ways, but here it's not. Spend less than you make, and you'll be able to get out of debt and and save and have these things that are there. Uh, Very simply put in that way. Next, learn to be content. Proverbs teaches us learn to be content content. And flip to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27 to see this contentment and caring for and being uh, appreciative of what you have. Proverbs 27 verse 23 says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation on the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and maintenance for your girls. So basically what this is saying is we need to care for what we have because at some point it may be all that we have. If you had these flocks and these herds and you were off you know, following business ventures and these get-rich-quick schemes and doing all these things and you're not caring for your herds, then when that time comes that, that 
everything is gone. You run out of stuff. Uh, there is no more wealth. And you come back to your herds and they're maimed. Uh, that, you know, they're, they're not well kempt. They're dead because you weren't there to protect and care for them. Then you have nothing. I mean, you can't use them for food. You can't use them to barter and to trade. They're not producing milk or food. I mean, you've lost everything because you were off chasing these things and not caring for and being content with what you had. So scripture says, be content, care for what you have because you may lose everything else, but if you've already got it, you need to make it last. Take care and maintain those things. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 is a prayer. It's a great prayer. Uh, I would encourage you to write this down, commit this to memory, uh, put it somewhere where you can see it. Uh, Proverbs 37 says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So a person wants to be a person of character and integrity. Remove falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So his prayer is that God would help him guard his attitude of his heart about his possessions. He says, If I have too much then I may grow proud. I may grow self-centered and say, look at what I've done. I don't need God. Look at all this that I've acquired that that I have here. But if I'm poor, then I may be tempted to steal and to compromise my integrity and do things to get stuff that I want or things that I need. So he says, Lord, help me. Be content with what I have. Not too much, because I don't want to forsake you, but not too little so that I don't deny you and do things that are wrong. It's a great prayer for us to remember uh, and to set forth in our lives. And then we end this morning in Proverbs chapter 11, our last thing for this morning, with the greatest principle, the financial principle found in Proverbs, and it's this. The spiritual supersedes the physical. That means the spiritual is more important than the physical. Every time, in every instance, in every situation. Proverbs 11.24 says... I'm sorry, what did I say? Proverbs 11.4, not 24. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. That's the day of judgment, standing before God. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, the righteousness he's talking about isn't righteousness we attain or work for on our own. It's the righteousness of God that's given to us when we admit to the sin that's in our life and we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and we place our faith and our trust in him to forgive us of our sins and cover us with his righteousness. Proverbs 16, 16, as we uh, read a similar statement earlier, said, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You see, wisdom isn't simply knowledge or understanding or it's not even the ability to rightly apply wisdom and understanding in good decision-making. Wisdom, the Bible tells us, is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you need to do that today. Because if your faith or your trust or your hope is in your material possessions or your retirement or your nest egg or, or any of those things, then when you leave this life and enter into eternity and stand before God one day, then you have no hope at all. Because you see, an unbeliever, a person that doesn't know Christ, could take and do all of these things that we've talked about today and follow all of the money management principles and manage and do things really, really well. But when they leave this earth and stand before Christ, it's not going to matter. He's not going to look at their bank statements nor portfolios and things. He's going to ask, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you know him? Did you confess your sins? Did you believe in him as your Lord and Savior? 
So maybe today you need to come and receive that gift of eternal life made possible through Jesus' death on a cross. And our staff would love to share with you today how your greatest inheritance can be eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven for all of eternity. But maybe you need to follow in believer's baptism as Brandon did today. Or maybe God's been leading you to transfer to this church where you can continue to grow in your walk and your relationship with Christ and help us do the things that God has called us to do. If you need to come this morning and pray, our altar is open and we invite you to come and just pour out to, your heart, to, to God whatever might be on your heart today. Maybe it's to be more committed and to be more faithful as a giver and to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't see how we can do it. Things are tight right now, but we're going to take the step of faith and God, we trust you in this. But maybe it's to ask God to help you be disciplined and live on a budget. I don't know what may be going on in your heart and your spirit today. But I'll tell you, nothing indicates a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ being Lord of your life than a surrendered wallet or pocketbook. Finances are often the last area we withhold in giving to Christ and surrendering to him. And it's the first area we take back when things get tough uh, and when we struggle in our walk with him. So this morning, would you make a commitment to living a life of complete obedience to Christ by honoring him with your finances and your material possessions and your attitude? about those things.